familiar faces. So if you are visiting, if it has not been said, then we hope you feel most welcome, um, especially if you're local. But even if not, uh, we appreciate having a record of your visit. We won't hound you. Um, may just shoot you an email or something like that. But if you don't mind, if you are visiting, and especially if you're local, there's a very simple card in the foyer, the brochure. You can learn a little bit more about our church. But it's great to be together today. It's encouraging to be together on the first day of the new year. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, our text today is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. That's a book in the New Testament. It's really near the end of the whole Bible. So it's definitely not the last book of the New Testament um, but it's one of the later books, so you will not fail to go near the end of the Bible. And probably, as you know, those, those big numbers represent the chapters, the smaller ones represent the verses. So we are in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews 4, our text today, verses 14 through 16. Let me tell you my goal, uh, only with God's help this morning, my goal is that we would be encouraged on the first week of this new year in light of the incarnation. So rooted in the incarnation, I really appreciate uh, when I saw the songs, what they would be this week. Uh, I I like not leaving that too quickly. I like that. Um, So that's good. So rooted in the incarnation, I want us to be encouraged on this first week of the new year. So if you're physically able, let's stand in the honor of reading of God's word. Here's the title this morning, Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. Okay, Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. Look with me at the word of God, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is our key text. I want to look at a few other passages in Hebrews. Just elaborate that. If you would turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 and keep your place there. We'll look at that in just a moment. Let's pray together. Would you join me in prayer?
Father, we bow before you. We thank you that it is this same book, uh, the book of Hebrews, that reminds us and tells us of your unchangeable nature. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, have mercy upon us. 2022 is now in our rearview mirror, and here we are on this first day. As we've said already, we desire to, to focus all the more on your word, including on the word incarnate, the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, would you please help us now? Not in spite of our weaknesses, but as we see in this text, because you call us to come to you precisely in our weakness. Lord, we thank you that there is salvation in Jesus Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we see him this morning. Or would you work among us? Do what none of us can do. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So for just a second, I want you to notice Hebrews 10. Please look there with me. Now, last week on Christmas Sunday, we did very briefly mention Hebrews 10. And I said to remember that Jesus was born to die. That ultimately he was born to die. So look at Hebrews 10 verse 5. Hebrews 10 5. <clears throat> Thanks for bearing with me this morning. If I go back to being 17 and my voice is cracking. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. This is the Lord Jesus speaking here in Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. And again, I just wanted to remind you, whether you were here or not, of last week on Christmas, we said to remember that he was born to die. And so we think not only of the cradle, but we go from the cradle to the cross, and then to another sea to the crown. From the cradle to the cross to the crown. And so we see that in Hebrews 10. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 4 and 5. Turn back to Hebrews 4 and 5. Let me ask you a question this morning. First of all, let me remind you, our text is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Remember, our title is Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. What do you want? What do you want if you fall into a hole? And I'm talking about a hole. If you fall into a hole in the earth, that just just think with me, imagine with me, this is something that you're not getting out of by your own devices. It's that type of hole, okay? So it's a pit. If What, what do you want if you fall into a pit, maybe a well or something like that? Uh, don't answer out loud, but do you want sympathy or do you want empathy? What do you want? If you fall into a pit, which there's clearly... There's clearly no way that you're able to get yourself out of this pit. I mean, so, 
So you're in trouble, right? Whether it's by your own foolishness, your own doing, or just by accident, whatever. Do you want sympathy or empathy? And you say, okay, what? Well, let me put it this way. What do you prefer? Do you prefer for somebody to come down in the pit with you, which they would have to kind of fall, this is a deep pit, you want somebody to come down into the pit with you, to empathize with you, to show you empathy? Hey, I am down in this pit with you. I know how you are feeling because I'm here in the pit with you. Or, or listen to me, or do you want sympathy in that moment? Which would be somebody who's not in the pit with you, somebody who's up above, who somehow whether through their own strength or through multiple people or through some mechanism, has the means to actually get you out of the pit. That's what I mean when I say, do you want sympathy or empathy in that particular situation? Now, what have we been accustomed to think uh, here in the 21st century? We all think, and I'm not saying we're dead wrong, we all think, which one's greater? Which one's greater, sympathy or empathy? Well, I, th I think we all think I think we all think. I think we all think that empathy is greater. Because by default, by default, we think of sympathy maybe as a bit snobbish. We think of sympathy as the man who is, in our little scenario, standing up, looking down on the person in the well, and saying, man, that's sad. You know, that's, I feel sorry for you. It's a bit snobbish is how we think of sympathy but are we right? And I say, no, we're not right. These ideas are not original with me. A guy named Joe Rigney has a lot of helpful ideas on this. We think empathy is the best. And actually, friends, actually we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. For example, we just, we think it's a good thing to immediately identify with people in their hurt and pain. This person hurt me or this church hurt me. Well, let me identify with you. Let me show you empathy. We actually can get ourselves into trouble. So we could be on the wrong track, actually, if we are convinced that empathy is better than sympathy. No, no, I think we would all agree, right, that if you are in a well, if there is no human way of rescue, if you are facing your own impending death, what you want, as I'm defining it, what you want is sympathy. You want somebody, maybe you could have both. Like that, maybe that's the ideal, right? Maybe the ideal would be to have both somebody who could be down there with you, but who could also get you out. That's what you want. We don't want somebody who will just come alongside. And again, I think this is a, this is a problem in our culture. This is a problem in the church. Oh, I, I, I feel with you. I identify with you. Oh, friends, listen to me. Look at me. We are sinners. We need help. What we don't need, what we do not need is someone who is precisely like us in every way, including sin. That's what we don't need. This is a, uh, this is a pregnant passage. It's pregnant with meaning. It's, uh, it's pregnant with encouragement for a new year. Why did I pick this passage? Well, every year uh, Christmas comes around, and and you, if you're a pastor, I know there's at least, at least one other pastor here. You think about you 
think about preaching the incarnation and you, and you study and you, go, and you go deep into Christmas and the true meaning of Christmas. And, and again, I'm so glad that in song we're not leaving it too quickly behind. And, and friends, I want us to see that rooted, listen to me, rooted in the incarnation, rooted in Christmas is massive, massive encouragement for the first week of a new year. Massive encouragement for the first week of a new year. Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. It's not, a, it's not a dramatic story from my life. It wasn't a dramatic event in my life. But it's just one that I remember. It's really pretty simple, but I just remember this. Many, many years ago, I was thinking about the struggle with sin. Uh, and I, uh, I reached out to a man that I trusted, a man that I looked up to, who also happened to be a, a pastor at another church. And here's what this man shared with me. This man took me to the book of Hebrews, and he gave me what may seem like some weird encouragement. And, and if you look at chapter 5 for just a moment, Hebrews chapter 5, this is where he took me as as I remember it all those, all those years ago, just thinking about the struggle with sin, I, I, think we, I think we talked about the fact that, that I was aspiring to, to ministry. I was aspiring to be a pastor. And man, like there's that, and then there's the struggle with sin. So, so. and he took me here to Hebrews 5, 2 where it's in context, is speaking about the human high priest. The human high priest. And it says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. You see what it says there? Since he himself is beset with weakness. And so as I sat there with this brother who I respected and who I trusted, uh, I sent him a note yesterday telling him I appreciated him. He took me here. And as we talked about the ministry, being a pastor, because you know we have this great divide between sacred and secular, right? You know that I'm so much greater than... No, we don't have a huge divide between sacred and secular. We don't have some big divide between vocational ministry or something like that. No, he didn't bring me here because I was studying to become a Catholic priest or something like that. Although it is interesting, right? He, He brought me to a section of scripture that talks about priests. Priests. I wasn't studying to be a priest. I was thinking about becoming a pastor and thinking about the struggle with sin. And he said, he said, look, look at 5-2, as we just read, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. That's the human priest. Go with me. Uh, fairly quickly, I've got 11 things. All right, now that, listen. Now the important thing, the important thing, in my opinion, is not to make sure you have every detail of these 11 headings. I'm going to go quickly, all right? That's not the important thing. I'll, I'll try to review them once, but just listen and look at the Word. And may God, through the Holy Spirit, help us. What's the title again? Jesus, our sympathetic high priest. Number one, God is King. Number one, God is king. 
Look at verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. Please look at the text. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. By the way, this is also a Christmas text. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest. Please notice the double negative. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.16 Oh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Number one, God is king. We see that in verse 16. In verse 16, we see this. God has a throne, and he sits on that throne. And it is a throne of grace. Now the focus in verse 16, look at it again with me. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The focus is not so much on a throne per se. The focus is not so much on a throne. The throne represents God. So the focus is God in all of his grace. Okay? Verse 16, God in all of his grace. That's number one. God is king. Number two. Number two, God has appointed Jesus, his son, to be high priest. God has appointed Jesus, his son, to be high priest, and not just any priest. Now, we really won't go into much Old Testament background, but maybe it'll help us to look at chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Look with me at chapter 5. I want to read a decent little bit here. Look at this. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation... What's, what's a priest? Oh, trick with me this morning. Trick with me. What's a priest? Well, he's explaining it to us right here. A human priest, right, is, is a go-between between God and men. He's chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To do what? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. You see, the human priest, he's imperfect, he's a sinner. He can't just offer sins for the people. He's got to start by offering sins for himself or sacrifices for himself. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, 5-5, five, five, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Does anybody know where verse 7, what that's probably referring to? Verse 7, probably the Garden of Gethsemane, right? 
My God, Father. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he was heard, and that's interesting, right? He was heard because of his reverence. Well, that means he didn't have to go to the cross. No, he did go to the cross. He was heard. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 5 again. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's number two. God was a, God has appointed Jesus, his son, to be high priest. Number three. Number three. We are made in the image of God, but we are weak. We are made in the image of God, but we are weak. We are sinners. We are sinful. We are full of sin. We are subject to all manner of temptations. Look back at 4.15. Chapter 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted what? Has been tempted as we are. We are weak. We are sinners subject to all manner of temptations. Number four. Number four, specifically, if you think about the book of Hebrews, specifically, we are in need of perseverance. Uh, you think about a runner. I've been, I've been reading the, uh, the biography of Eric Little, uh, you know, the, the great guy from the Olympics, the British runner, the Christian guy, you know, Eric Little, who, who refused to run on, on what he considered a Sabbath. I would, I'll quibble with him on that, but that's enough. The story is, based on his Christian conviction in the Olympics. In the Olympics, he did, he would not run his main race. He did end up running another race that he won because he was gifted by God. When I, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. You think about this race, and Hebrews says, we're in need of perseverance. Don't bail out of the race. We're in need, listen, of not throwing in the towel when things are really hard. When our prospects look very bleak, when we are hard pressed, maybe like these Christians, we might be in danger of giving up and falling out of the race. Specifically, we're in danger or we're in need, excuse me, we're in need of perseverance. Number five, number five, Jesus was without sin. He was and is sinless. Look again at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If you use a double negative in a case like this, it's because you so heavily want to underline the positive. It's because you so want to emphasize the positive that you do so by using the double negative. He says in the middle of verse 15, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was without sin. He is and was sinless. Let me remind us that we would know this is important. This is important that Christmas means that the Son of God, 
Christmas means the Son of God came to earth and took on human flesh. He was born to die because we are sinners and there's no way of salvation apart from the source of our salvation who is Jesus Christ. He was born to die. He died. He ascended into heaven. But here's the thing. When Jesus went back to heaven, when he ascended into heaven, he did not leave his humanity behind. Do you see? He is the God-man. Now, now, he's fully God and fully man. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and the author of Hebrews is saying to us today, look, I can sympathize with you. I, I am not put off by your acne. If you're a teenager going to a party and you're worried about others being put off by your acne, I have absolutely been there. Or if you yourself are put off by a sudden outbreak of acne, Man, you yourself are put off by your own face. The Lord Jesus, through the author of Hebrews, is saying to us today, I am not, listen, I am not repelled by your weaknesses. Jesus is not repelled by the weaknesses of his people. He's not repelled by them. Because Christmas means that he came down, he took on human flesh, and he has not sloughed it off. He ascended to heaven and he remains the God-man, fully God, fully human, able to sympathize with us. If you know the Gospels at all, you know that in the Gospels, Jesus goes around healing people. Have you ever read the Gospels? Are you here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ? Let me challenge you that you can't go on and say, well, that's just, that's just not for me unless you've at least read the Gospels. Have you come face to face with Jesus by reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? And what do you find? He goes around healing people. He's sympathetic. Now, I mean, he's got authority and he's all powerful, but he's also tender. Listen, he's tender and he's compassionate. He has not changed at all. As he ascended to heaven, we do not see him now according to the flesh, but this passage screams to us, the heart of Jesus Christ for crossway believers in the new year. Number six, Jesus is and was the God-man, fully man. He was and he is the God-man, fully man. Look at chapter two. Please look at chapter two. Verse 17. Hebrews 2.17 Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is not from the priestly tribe of Levi. He's not from the people of Aaron. He's from the tribe of Judah. Hebrews says he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 17, in the service of God, 2.17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. My friend, listen to me. Jesus has a heart of 
truly unbelievable compassion for his people. But this word propitiation, this word propitiation in Hebrews 2.17 means that if you do not know God and if, the, if Jesus does not know you, your hope is for only the wrath of God. Your only hope is no hope, my friend. That's why you need to run to Christ today. I'm telling you, as surely as I stand here today on the word of God, your hope, if you are not a believer, this word propitiation means making atonement to appease the wrath of God. And either you're trusting in Jesus Christ or you're trusting in your own self. And that will get you nowhere. You either bear the wrath of God yourself or you trust in the one who has borne the wrath of God. Do you see? There's only two ways to live. Either you trust in Jesus who took the wrath of God for sinners or you will receive the wrath of God because we are all sinners. He says there in verse 18 of chapter 2, please look at it with me. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I share with you that story of when I was thinking about the struggle with sin so many years ago because that, that was so many years ago and I don't have any problems now. That's baloney. That's foolish. It is a fact. Piano. It is a fact that if you have two pianos in the same room, this is from Kent Hughes, it's a fact. If you have two pianos in the same room and a note is struck on one, the same note will gently respond on the other, though not touched by another human hand. This is called sympathetic resonance. Christ's instrument, Christ's instrument meaning the body, and the full, listen, the full human nature that he took upon himself at Christmas. Christ's instrument was just like ours in every way, and hear this, he took that instrument, that body, to heaven with him. It is his priestly body. And when a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, are you listening to this? When a chord is struck in the weakness of our human instrument, it resonates in his. There is no note of human experience that does not play on Christ's exalted instrument. Are you a believer this morning? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? I don't, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I don't think I endorse it. I'm pretty sure I don't. These commercials, you know, you've seen them. He gets us. You've seen those commercials? It's some people with a lot of bucks, and I don't, I don't know their motives. I don't fault their motives, but they're trying to get the message of Jesus across, and the whole message is he gets us. It doesn't seem like the greatest thing to me in the little bit that I've looked into it. That aside, he gets us. The truth of the matter, rightly understood according to the Bible, is he gets us. Let me say this again from Hughes. There is no note of human experience that does not play on Christ's exalted human instrument. Just because he has died and been raised and ascended back to heaven does not mean in any way at all that he has left aside the sympathy that we see on earth. You see, Jesus Christ is actually, he is the ideal because he is God, because he is the son of God. What did we say is the ideal? The ideal is someone when you're in the well, 
when you have no hope of rescue, it would be nice to have company. It would be nice. But listen to me. If the person who is able to either give you help or go get help, if the person who alone is able to go get help for you says, no, I'm not going to go get help for you. I'm going to come down in the well with you. Well, thanks. That's nice. But you are not helping me. The Lord Jesus Christ, in a sense, is able to be down in the well with us. But the thing is, he's able to actually save us. He is a sympathetic high priest. We do not have, the double negative, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say we do have, we do have a great high priest who has been touched by our infirmities in every way except for sin. In every way. All right, number seven. One through six, real quick, one through six. God is king. God has appointed Jesus, his son, to be high priest. We're made in the image of God, but we're weak. We're sinful. We are in specific need of perseverance as Christians. We need to keep running the race. Jesus was without sin. He is and was sinless. Number six, Jesus is and was the God-man, fully man. Number seven, Jesus gets us. He knows and understands our weaknesses. He knows and understands our weaknesses. You know, he says, you know, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 14 again, chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8. Let me hear him turn. Verse 1. Hey, Paul. I'm going to say Paul wrote this. You know I always say that. Hey, Paul, what's the point of what you're saying here? Can you give us the main point? Here's the point. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. Look up at chapter 7. Look at the end of chapter 7. Verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. I don't know. I don't know. You're telling me, you're telling me that following Jesus means I actually need to follow Jesus, that I actually need to trust him and actually need to follow him. Will he be able to hold me? Will he be able to keep me? He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Verse 26 of chapter 7, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. That's why we have such a problem with the Roman Catholic understanding of the Mass. Jesus Christ died once for all. Once for all. We don't represent His body and His blood every time we take the Lord's Supper. No, no, no. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful thing which we need to prepare to observe next week. But once and for all, once and for all, the, G the Lord Jesus says what? To tell us die. It is finished. And I... 
Direct your glance again to the end of verse 27. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Oh, my fellow believer. It's January the 1st, 2023. Rightly understood, he gets us. He knows and understands our weaknesses. What do you think about a person who, uh, let's say there's a storm coming, okay? Hurricane, tornado, there's a storm coming. And, and you're in a position where you're outside and you literally don't have any building or facility to find refuge in. You're outside and you know this storm's coming and you know that, that you're going to have to endure it outside. And there's one man, and, and by the way, we know that the winds are going to get up to 95 miles an hour. There's one man who when the winds get up to 35 miles an hour, he says, man, this is getting a little rough. Now, you know, 35, right? It's not that bad. And he, and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and lay down. I'm going to go ahead and lay down because this is already getting a little bit, 35. But the other man, 65, 75, 85, he's standing. Which man knows more about temptation? Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Listen to this. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. What's he saying? Good people do not know what temptation means. Well, you know, Jesus, okay, Jesus, I mean, look at him. Okay, Jesus was God. I mean, he was the son of God, right? Or, I mean, you know, you pastors, good people do not know what temptation means. This is a lie. Only, listen, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. You find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it. This was 80 years ago. Not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. Friends, listen to this. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, oh, well, well, Jesus, I mean, again, Jesus was the son of God. No, he's saying Jesus understands temptation way better than we do because he's out there with no refuge, so to speak, and the 95-mile-an-hour winds have come, and all the rest of us said, 25 miles an hour, I'm going to lay down, which actually shows how weak we are and how sinful we are, and Jesus alone never sinned. Jesus alone never sinned. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it had been like an hour later. That is why bad people know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. Try to fight it. Try to live by the law. Do this and you will live. It will fail every time. Christ and Christ alone is the man who never yielded to temptation. Do you see? Let's quickly tick these off. Number eight, he is not put off. This is, my, this, is, this is the number one out of the 11. He is not put off or turned off by our weaknesses. Our weaknesses do not repel him. Go to him. Go to your Savior, believer. If you're not a believer, run to Christ. 
Flee from the wrath that is to come. Find refuge in Jesus. Our weaknesses as believers do not repel him. Quite the opposite. Number nine, Jesus knows what it is like to be tempted in every way. He knows what it is like to be tempted in every way. Number 10, he was like us in every single way. There's a lot of repetition. Yeah, that's on purpose. Number 10, he was and is in his glorified human body. He was like us in every single way except for sin. Except for sin. And number 11, Jesus gives us free access to God. Open and free access to God. The high priest, once a year, makes sacrifices for the people. First for himself, because he's a sinner. He enters into the holy place, the most holy place. It's all hidden behind the veil. Jesus dies on the cross in the place of sinners. Jesus died in real space and time in human history in the place of sinners. The the veil of the curtain was torn in two. Jesus gives us free access to God, open and free access to God. Verse 16, Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what? So what? Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 14 says that at the end. Let us hold fast our confession. He gives us the so what answer right here. Let us hold fast our confession. For... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what, number two? You notice in verse 14, he said, let us hold fast. He says in verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near. What's he saying to them, to the original audience? He's saying some of you are in danger of shrinking away. Some of you are in danger of falling back of falling away, apostasy. He said, don't shrink away. No, instead of shrinking away, what we need to do by the grace of God is to draw near. Verse 15, out of these three verses today, out of these three verses, verse 15 is the heart of it all. And the end of verse 14 says, one so what, let's hold fast our confession. And the beginning of verse 16 answers the second so what. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. My fellow believer, this year you can go to Him. You can go to the throne of grace rooted in Christmas, rooted in the incarnation, rooted in Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Hebrews 3, chapter 1, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of what? Of our confession. Hebrews 3, 1. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'll close with this. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, 
He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For everyone who trusts in him this morning, he bled and died and rose again. And he is now at the right hand of the majesty on high, interceding for his people. He will keep us to the end. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hold the rope. Help us to run the race. But help us to very much keep in mind that you will hold us fast. That if it were possible, our hand would come off the rope so easily. But you keep our hand on the rope. Help us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you that we have a sympathetic high priest. We thank you that he gets us, that he is like us in every way except for sin. And Father, we confess that we do not want a high priest who is like us in every single way. We do not want a, a, a man who totally gets us and who is also a sinner. For then we are lost and damned for eternity. But we thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he is totally like us except for sin. May we look to Christ in this new year, in this new week, and in this new day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.